WHYY and Billy Penn, it is hitting season. Hey there, podcast pals. I'm John Stolnes from The Good Fight and Billy Penn. You can follow me on X at John Stolnes. And coming up, a real quick recap of the World Series. Uh, Texas Rangers are your World Series champions. And I know here, as Phillies fans in Philadelphia and all of us who live outside the city, a bummer that our baseball team didn't get to participate in this fall classic. But uh, obviously, a lot of us... I know weren't watching this World Series terribly closely. I definitely dipped in, in and out. Um, and I have some feelings about, about what I saw. And I'm sure you all have some feelings about what you didn't see. Because <laughs> most of you probably uh, didn't watch the World Series. But I'll touch on that coming up here uh, in just a couple of minutes. I'll give you my final grades for the Phillies this season. I've graded just about every player on this team. Uh, we'll also talk a little bit about the starting pitcher market. And then we'll jump into the hit and season mailbag a little as well. So even though the Phillies are not playing anymore, still a lot to get to here on this episode of Hit and Season. Want to remind you, of course, to go check out BillyPen.com slash Hit and Season. That is our landing page. That's where you can find all of the blog posts that we are writing to accompany these podcasts. And, uh, of course, you can read my writing over at The Good Fight as well, kind of writing for both places at the moment. But I uh, also want to encourage you to check out our Hit and Season Patreon, where we have some bonus podcasts over there, patreon.com slash Season. Most of you who listen to this podcast know about that. But for those of you who have just kind of hopped on in the last few weeks during the Phillies' most recent playoff run, we do have a Patreon where we have some bonus content, extra podcasts over there for you, uh, which you can sign up for, again, by going to patreon.com slash hit and season. Some different stuff there. A little bit of a different Phillies fare if you've never checked it out. So I would uh, I would recommend heading on over there. All right, let's talk about this World Series just a, a little bit. I know most of you don't have an appetite to talk about this World Series, this World Series that the Phillies were supposed to play in, this World Series that we all thought the Phillies were going to play in, that they were destined to play in, that, that it was inevitable that they would play in, and then they didn't. <laughs> we all know. We all know what happened. We all know why. Uh, the the Rangers beat the Diamondbacks in five games. Uh, really, games one and then game seven were the only really uh, game five were the only really good games in this fall classic. Not a very interesting one uh, in terms of the two teams that are playing. Nationally speaking, the ratings were way way down for this World Series, and that's understandable. Not a lot of household names. Of course, the Phillies would have probably jumped the ratings up quite a bit because the, they just were so telegenic and everybody, they jumped off the screen and and obviously playing it in Philadelphia, the juice would have been there. I mean, you're not going to get to the level of like what we saw with the Cubs and the then Indians back in uh, 2016. Now, people are comparing this World Series to that one. The, the Cubs are trying to end a century-long jinx. I mean, they, nothing, th- those ratings were, were off the charts for a specific reason, but generally speaking, we've been around the 11 million mark per World Series, and I think this one was down into like the 7 or 8 million. Uh, definitely down from last year's Phillies Astros World Series. But, um, you know, for those of you who like baseball, you don't really care if non-baseball people watch for the most part. This, the, this, What you wanted to see was a, a good World Series that, that went a long way, and in the end, the Diamondbacks were no match for the Texas Rangers. And I, you have to... I, I know we're disappointed. Right, A lot of us are sad that the Phillies missed out on this fall classic, but if the Phillies are going to miss out on a, on a World Series title, I would rather it be maybe the Texas Rangers who ends up being the team that wins the World Series than anyone else. You have to feel good for that organization, for that fan base, for that franchise who, have been, who had been around for 62 years, founded in 1961. They used to be the Washington Senators. But the Texas Rangers, founded in 1961, had never won a World Series. And not only had they never won a World Series, they had gotten so close in 2010 when they lost to Bruce Bochy's Giants, ironically. Bruce Bochy, the manager for this Texas Rangers team, beat the Texas Rangers back in 2010 for for his first World Series title. And then in 2011, of course... That year where the Phillies were upset by the Cardinals in the National League Division Series, and the Cardinals then went all the way. That was the year that they won 84 games, I think it was, or maybe it was 87 games that they won that year. But that was the David Freeze World Series, when they were one strike away from beating the Cardinals in Game 6 and winning the World Series. But then you had David Freeze hit that triple. The Rangers come back in the 10th inning. And a Josh Hamilton home run puts them up too. They think, oh my gosh, we bounced back. You know, we, we, we got the lead back. And then 
uh, Lance Berkman ties it back up in the bottom of the 10th inning. And then David Freeze in the bottom of the 11th hits the one of the most legendary home runs in postseason history, extends it to a seventh game, and the Cardinals went on to win that World Series, crushing the souls of every Texas Rangers fan out there. And now here on Wednesday night, game five, you know, they're getting no hit for seven innings or six innings by Zach Galen. Uh, but Galen starts to lose it third time through the order. The Rangers start to hit him around. But it's one nothing going into the ninth. And then off of Paul Seawald, to, again, the Rangers made look like a normal pitcher because he doesn't do anything particularly spectacular. But it was frustrating, of course, watching Trey Turner swing through a whole lot of Paul Seawald strikes right down the middle. And the Rangers didn't miss those pitches, oddly enough. And there they took advantage with a four-run ninth inning to give themselves a comfortable last three outs to get uh, to get their first World Series title. And you know what? It was cool watching them celebrate. If it had been the Diamondbacks celebrating, I would have had a really hard time with it. I would have had a really, really hard time watching that. And like I was talking to Justin and Liz about earlier, like the Diamondbacks have been in existence since '98. And they would have had two World Series titles, the same as the Phillies, who have been around since 1883. That just that that's not a world I want to live in. <laughs> so it's really great to see a long-suffering franchise who suffered one of the most devastating World Series defeats in the game's history. It 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 may be the most devastating defeat in World Series history. Game six of the 2011 World Series. I mean, you're you're one strike away, one strike, and they and they lose, and then they come back here in 2023, uh, and you know they were a good team all year. They were they had maybe the best offense in baseball the entire season. Uh, they only finished with 90 wins, the same number of wins as the Phillies. But as we saw, you get hot. They had uh, they had uh, two really good starting pitchers. They didn't even have Jacob Degrom for this run. Remember, they lost Jacob Degrom early in the season. And yet they went on this run thanks to Nathan Eovaldi, who was outstanding in the in the entire playoffs. Uh, but Corey Seager was named MVP, um, and it's his second World Series MVP. The Rangers are the first team in Major League Baseball, NBA, or NHL history to win 11 road games in a single postseason. They went 11-0 and in the playoffs. And I know there's going to be a lot of people looking at what the Diamondbacks did. After the Diamondbacks series, everybody was saying, we need to play more small ball. We need to play more small ball. And I agree with you that we need to play more fundamentally sound baseball. I don't know that it needs to be small ball, but when Kyle Schwarber hits a leadoff double and you're Trey Turner and it's a one-run game, you got to do what you need to do to get that ball over to the right side of the field so that Schwarber can get over to third base with less than two outs. Now, of course, then you're asking your players to get him in from third with less than two outs with a with a fly ball, and that's, generally speaking, not been something the Phillies are good at. Those are the kinds of things the Phillies need to get better at here in, in 2024 and beyond. And we know that that was a downfall that they just they were just trying to hit homers and they were swinging at everything off the plate and I'm going to get into more of that in just a second but I will note that the team that hit more home runs than their opponent went 25 and 4 in the playoffs so the home run is important especially in the postseason and the Texas Rangers just never stopped hitting the entire playoffs that team never stopped hitting the profile of the Phillies and the Rangers are, are very similar they they score a lot of runs. They hit a lot of home runs. They're 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 not dissimilar from each other. The difference is that the Texas Rangers just had better at bats. They're more patient, and they were more patient in this fall classic, and in the playoffs than the Phillies were. The Phillies ran out of gas because they couldn't stop chasing, while the Texas Rangers went went from uh, beginning to end, just continuing to wallop the ball all over the place. And so now, if you're wondering, now that the Texas Rangers have gotten their World Series. Who has the longest drought? It's now the San Diego. I oh know the Cleveland Guardians have had um, uh, the longest, have the longest drought between uh, World Series titles right now. But um, among the teams to have never won a World Series title, the Texas Rangers were one of six teams to have never won a World Series. Now that is down to five. You have the San Diego Padres 
who were founded in 1969, have never won a World Series. The Milwaukee Brewers have never won a World Series. The Seattle Mariners have never even been to a World Series. And then you have the Colorado Rockies and the Tampa Bay Rays, um, who have never won a World Series either. So uh, those are the five teams left. Padres, Brewers, Mariners, Rockies, Rays, who have never won a World Series. And uh, the Rangers show you. Just like the Cubs did, uh, you know, a little bit uh, a few years ago, that um, just because you haven't done it before doesn't mean you can't do it, and doesn't mean you won't do it. And I don't know if the Phillies would have beaten this Texas Rangers team. This Rangers team was really, really good. It was a really good team, and uh, and they deserve the World Series. And so, um, congratulations to the Texas Rangers. And I, I I enjoyed watching them celebrate. I'm I'm a fan who really likes to root for long suffering. Um, fan bases, fan bases who have been through a lot because I identify with them as a, as a Phillies fan growing up when I started watching sports in like the mid eighties, the Sixers had won their title in 83. I wasn't really conscious of that. I was born in 76, but I wasn't watching sports until I was like, you know, eight or nine years old. And so it was like 1985 that I really started getting into sports. And I went all the way through till 2008 feeling like a Philadelphia sports team would never win a title that they would never, ever in my lifetime win a title. The drought, the two-decade, the generational-long drought to have four sports teams in the city of Philadelphia that had never won a championship, that felt suffocating. That's why all of those times that they got to the finals, they got to the World Series, they got to the Super Bowl and didn't come through. It just compounded one on top of the other. But when the Phillies won in 08, and then especially when the Eagles won the Super Bowl, it just kind of made that go away. And so it, it takes the, some of the sting out of not winning the World Series when you were pretty close. And make no mistake, the 2023 NLCS loss was brutal. It was difficult to watch, especially in real time. But I think maybe even just as I'm getting older, but having already experienced a couple of worlds, a couple of titles, uh, the World Series and the Super Bowl, it doesn't sting as much for me as it used to. Um, but I think what the Rangers did, and if you're looking for, if you're looking for maybe anything to take out of what we saw here from the Rangers and this World Series. The Rangers were a team that finished 25 games under 500 a year ago. They're the first team to win a World Series that was 25 games under 500 the year before. They spent big on their roster. They spent money on their roster. For teams who are trying to make all these moves around the edges and avoid spending money whenever possible, just look at what the Phillies have done. Look at what the Rangers did this year. They spent money. On Trevor, on uh, Trevor Simeon, not Trevor Simeon, on uh, Marcus Simeon. Trevor Simeon plays as a bad quarterback in the NFL. Marcus Simeon, um, uh, Corey Seager. They did go get Jacob Degrom, and Degrom got hurt. We'll see how that works out. But they they won in spite of that. They they've gone out and they've they've made big free agent acquisitions, and yet they've also developed some homegrown talent as well. So there's a lesson there. Spend some money if you want to make it to the World Series. Spend some money. That doesn't guarantee anything. Just ask the New York Mets. Just ask the San Diego Padres who got, but the Padres got real close last year. They're going to be contenders again in, in 2024, most likely. And I don't know if they're going to return that entire team. It looks like they're going to, they were losing. I think they they took out like a $50 billion loan or something or $50 million loan this past year. I think I saw that. I don't know what that was, but um, I don't know that what they're doing is sustainable over down there in San Diego. But nevertheless, if you spend money on players and you get good players on your roster, chances are you're probably going to win some games. The Phillies, remember, they also went into Texas in that opening week of the season. Remember how they lost uh, three out of those last four? Does anybody feel any better about that now? I don't I don't really know that I do, but, you know, it's, uh, you know, it, it's certainly... Um, it, it certainly is interesting that uh, that was the first series of the season for the Phillies going into Texas and playing this very this very Rangers team um, that uh, bashed the Phillies around for the first uh, for the first four games of the season. So anyway, those are just some of my takeaways. Um, I think it's fair to wonder if uh, the Phillies could have beaten the Rangers. Um, I, I don't know that they could have, but I think they would have given them a better series than the Diamondbacks. Um, and maybe the Phillies have learned some lessons here. We're going to talk a little bit about as the as the season goes along, basically how how do you how do you make the offense a little bit less swing and miss prone, less a little less chase prone? Um, you know, I think um, we'll get we'll get to that when we get to the mailbag. I, I don't want to I don't want to talk about uh, what the Phillies could do moving forward just yet, but um, we'll talk about that in the mailbag uh, coming up in just a few minutes. And by the way, uh, Travis Jankowski. Um, 
became a hero with his Game 4 performance. Former Philly great Travis Jankowski. And that's what the Phillies needed. They needed a Travis Jankowski to step up, too. We've been talking a lot about the Stars, how they didn't perform. And that's very true. Can you imagine if Johan Rojas had gotten just even one or two big hits during the course of that NLCS. It would have really helped out, but the Phillies did not have one of those guys who stepped up and was able to fill in and uh, and get something done. All right, now that the World Series is in the rearview mirror, the offseason officially starts, but let's finish up uh, 2023 by giving some grades out for the Phillies. And so I'm going to run down some names. I'm going to give you some grades. Uh, I've got them in uh, grade order here, and we'll start with the offense. And we're going to start off with Bryce Harper, who is the only A on my list. Uh, Bryce Harper came back two months early from Tommy John surgery, was a solid offensive player, didn't have his power when he first came back, but was DHing, learned a new position on the fly while while coming back from Tommy John surgery and trying to get his stroke back at the plate. And then in the second half, not only learned how to play first base, he learned how to play it at a high level, found his power stroke. Continued to hit clutch home run after clutch home run down the stretch. And then into the postseason, gave us some more memorable Bryce Harper moments. Wasn't able to get the job done in Game 7 in that big spot, but you can't knock him down for that. Maybe that's the only reason he doesn't get an A+, okay, is that he didn't come through in that at bat. But that's, I mean, you cannot ask more of what Bryce Harper gave you in 2023 of any player. And so uh, I've got an A for Bryce Harper. My only B plus on this list, maybe I was grading a little bit harshly here. I think Brandon Marsh had a B plus season for this team. When you think about what, what he was last year and what he was by the end of this season, he became, he might be the most improved hitter in baseball this year. Now, I think Perdomo um, with the Diamondbacks could also make that claim. There's probably a few other guys who could make that claim. And if it's not Marsh, he's certainly one of the top three or five most improved hitters in baseball this year. He was really consistent for much of the year. They they stopped playing him against left-handers, especially in those first two games against the the, the Marlins in the wildcard round. But uh, I don't think they're going to do that again starting next year. He proved that he can hit left-handed pitching. He doesn't hit it as well as righties, but Brandon Marsh's improvement year over year was was really astonishing to watch. And so uh, I think, uh, and he was one of the few guys in the playoffs who was performing well in the National League Championship Series. So I'm going to give Brandon Marsh a B plus. All right, here are my B players. Kyle Schwarber gets a B for me. Uh, just everything he did, his leadership, everything he brought to the clubhouse, all those home runs, all those walks, all those RBIs, uh, the batting average, it's, it's tough in the first couple months of the season when he's literally not doing anything anything productive. He's really got to figure out how to be a little bit more productive in April and May. He can't wait till June every year. But by the end of the year, Kyle Schwarber gives you those numbers, gives you those big postseason moments in the in the league championship series. And probably if they'd gotten to the World Series in the fall classic as well, Kyle Schwarber is a that definitely it's a B season for sure. And if you wanted to make it a B plus, I wouldn't argue with you. Nick Castellanos had a B season. I know he was frustrating, really kind of up and down, but for the most part this season, he had two really bad months and four really good months. And for most of the postseason, he was also exceedingly good. One of the main reasons they beat the Braves in that divisional series was Nick Castellanos. And we can't forget that. He was also improved defensively out in right field. Not a great defender, not an above average defender, but he became he became a solid defender in right field. And Nick Castellanos used to be a black hole in right field. Like he was, you couldn't play him out there in right field, but now you can, and you can, you can feel reasonably sure that he's going to make most of the plays. He's not going to do anything to hurt you out there. I think he had a, a solid season. Um, there are some absolute drawbacks to his game. There are some things about his game that are really frustrating. But if you look at his season on the whole, I think it's fair to give the Phillies' lone position player all, uh, all-star from 2023 a B. Also giving Alec Bohm a B. I know he struggled in the postseason. That was really frustrating to watch. But you look at how he played defensively in the postseason. His his glove got so much better this year. And some of that power did come. Maybe there's more there. Maybe there's not. But if this is the player Alec Bohm is going to be, that's a player that you can win with over at third base. Definitely a huge improvement for him this season. I also gave Bryson Stott a B. 
Bryson Stott struggled in the last month of the season, really kind of slumped. He slumped in the postseason as well, but his glove was unbelievable at second base. Maybe the best defensive second baseman in baseball. He could win a gold glove at that spot and was an, and a well above average offensive player at second base as well. He could be a perennial all-star moving forward. He was he led the Phillies in wins above replacement. Uh, matter of fact, may move, I'll move Stott up to a B plus. I, I think it, he was that good this year. The team leader in war. Um, didn't really never missed a game this season. You know, he was just from start to finish a really good season. Uh, and I think he'll, he'll do better uh, in the playoffs moving forward. But Bryson Stott is a good player. And the other B, I give it to Johan Rojas. He, I know he was awful in the playoffs, but they kind of put him in an impossible spot there. Like he just, he just wasn't ready. It was, it was too much to ask of him to be the, the starting center fielder in the playoffs and ask him to do anything offensively. He just wasn't ready. He wasn't ready to do that job. But if you look at where he came up and, and the, the regular season that he had and the and how unexpected it was, I, I think you have to look again at the season as a whole and where he started from to where he finished. I'm giving Johan Rojas a B. I give uh, JT uh, Trey Turner, I'm giving him a C-plus on the season. You, you can't be as bad as he was and have a, have a higher grade. I just don't, I just don't think. Um, he was great in August and September. That power surge that he went on in August was otherworldly. It totally salvaged his season. And through the first couple rounds of the playoffs, again, like most of the Phillies hitters, he was unbelievably great. And he was good in games one and two of the National League Championship Series. And then, obviously, in games three through seven, we we know what happened. And uh, he had some of the most infuriating at-bats on the team. He needs to be better from start to finish last year. He can't have another season where he's cold for three or four months and then everybody expect everybody to kind of just jump on board. That's just not going to be how, and I don't think that's what we're going to see from him, but uh, I don't think, uh, I think a C plus grade is very fair for Trey Turner. And I think for JT Real Muto, I gave him a C plus as well. Uh, Real Muto didn't seem, the, the big problem with Real Muto is his struggles hitting at home for the first five months of the season and hitting with runners in scoring position. He was absolutely infuriating hitting with runners in scoring position, how how much difficulty he had coming through in those spots. He figured it out in September and in the postseason, and he remains a solid to well above average defensive catcher. He's, again, uh, nominee for the gold glove. He's not going to win it, um, but uh, he he's still a very, very good catcher, and I think a C-plus is a fair grade for a guy. All of those players, by the way, finished with an OPS plus over 100. So they were all above average offensive players, and some of them obviously well above average for the positions they play. For the bench, uh, I have Christian Pache as a B-. minus. He, he when he was healthy, and part of the thing is with Pache, he's got to stay healthy, but he was a productive player uh, for good portions of the season, and I'm intrigued by him. I don't know if he's going to be a part of the 2024 team, and if he is, what he's going to do, but uh, I thought that uh, he was an interesting player. Weston Wilson, I gave a C. He wasn't around for very often for very long, but he did give us that one memorable moment on his home run with his dad crying in the stand. So for that alone, he gets a C. Garrett Stubbs, I know people want a new backup catcher. I'm going to talk about that in a second. But I gave Stubbsy a C- minus because he's the vibes guy, and you're not asking Stubbs to do all that much. Um, he's a good bunter. He, um, you know, he did some things. I don't really care about, <laughs> about the backup catcher all that much. Um, uh, Edmundo Sosa and Jake Cave get Ds from me. They just didn't do much this year. I expected more from Edmundo Sosa. Uh, Jake Cave, I didn't expect anything from. He was he just mashed a triple-A and couldn't hit a lick in the majors. And then a couple of Fs uh, went out to Josh Harrison and Rodolfo Castro, who I do hope we don't ever see again. Rodolfo Castro, that trade deadline acquisition made very no very little sense and had no impact whatsoever. Starting rotation, Zach Wheeler gets an A-. Only because uh, he did have some troubles in, in April and May a little bit, but figured it out in June, uh, had, was a victim of some bad luck early, and then, of course, went on that postseason run that, uh, again, for the second straight year, was absolutely dominant in the playoffs. And even in Game 7, when he came on in relief, didn't give up anything. Really just a, a true stud. And you really wish that they could have gotten to a World Series to see about getting him a ring and seeing how much more he could do, because he was just on quite a roll. Uh, Christopher Sanchez, I also gave an A-. minus. What a season this kid had. I mean, I think when we, when, when we look back at the 2023 season, we really need to take a look at Christopher Sanchez's turnaround because it was remarkable. 
the stability that he gave this team once he finally started making starts every fifth day and he started locating his pitches. This guy's going to be a big part of the 2024 rotation. I'm excited about Christopher Sanchez. I think this was great experience for him. He got a lot of innings under his belt this year. He can build off of that, and I think he's going to be a really good mid-rotation starter for this team. I'm very excited. Uh, Ranger Suarez and Taiwan Walker, I gave a C grade to both of them. They just, you know, Walker and Suarez both had moments where they looked like top of the rotation starters, but for Suarez, he got hurt a couple of times, uh, missed uh, missed chunks of the season, and then when he did come back, it took him a while to to find his groove again. Now, in the playoffs, Ranger Suarez was outstanding as well. Um, he, a little leaky in Game 7, uh, not quite as uh, shut down as you would have liked, but I, again, he only gave up, what, three runs in, in Game 7, and then they pulled him in the fifth inning. Um, he, I mean, he pitched pretty well in, in Game 7. He didn't pitch badly, uh, and it would have been great for the offense to support him a little bit. Taiwan Walker had a couple of months where he was really dealing. But other than that, he was he really struggled with his command. And of course, that first inning ERA was a big problem to the point where they didn't even trust him to pitch in game four of the National League Championship Series. But on the whole, their seasons were adequate. They were average. They they ate innings, uh, especially Walker. He ate innings. He won 15 games. So the Phillies managed to, to win games that he started. So I'll give him a C. And I think relative to expectations, I'm saving Aranola for last. Based on what you needed him to be, I gave Aranola a C minus. And I guarantee you, I know there's a lot of you listening who are thinking C minus for Aranola. That's too high. But Aranola was very good um, for for different stretches of the season. He he was able to find it from time to time. And then in the playoffs, he delivered. In the last few weeks of the season, he delivered as well. And I just you know. <sighs> It's tough. I don't want to be. You could go D plus on Nola, I guess, but I don't think he. I don't think he was that bad. He was inconsistent. He drove you crazy, but he did have a, a number of starts that were very good. I don't think he had as good a season as the other two guys, Suarez and Walker. I mean, it was about the same, but your expectations for Nola are higher. You're hoping he's your one A, at the very least, a high end number two, and he didn't pitch like that. He pitched like a number four starter this year, to the point where at one point we were wondering. Can he? Can you trust him to start a game in the postseason? And for the most part, you could. Game six, uh, I think he, him, serving up those three home, those two home runs, and that double, that RBI double, those three runs in the second inning of Game six, I think was the turning point of the series. That's the Phillies clenched up after that, and never got off of their uh, their swinging mentality. And I think Darren Nola had a lot to do with that. And in the bullpen, real quick, uh, Jeff Hoffman is my lone A for for reasons that should be quite obvious. No one saw him coming. Just a tremendous uh, season from Jeff Hoffman. I gave Jose Alvarado a B plus. Uh, he missed some time, but uh, when he was in there, he was he was quite good. Andrew Vasquez got a B plus. He was phenomenal earlier in the year, and I don't know why he went away. I mean, did he get hurt? I think he might have gotten hurt. Um, and either way, he was very good while he was in there. Uh, I gave uh, Sir Anthony Dominguez and um, Michael Lorenzen a C plus. I also gave a C plus to Dylan Covey. Um, Sir Anthony Dominguez, by the time the playoffs rolled around, was back to throwing 98, 99, 100 miles an hour. But he just couldn't. He just wasn't the same guy this year. And I'm hopeful that he comes back next year. These bullpen guys are all are are all uh, kind of up and down. Craig Kimbrell. I mean, yes, our lasting impressions of Craig Kimbrell are bad. But he carried this bullpen for a couple of months when Sir Anthony and uh, Jose Alvarado were down. He was very good for most of the season. He did allow a lot of base runners, but most of the time wiggled out of it. And so on the whole, again, on the whole from start to finish, I'm giving Craig Kimbrell a C-plus on the season. Same thing with Lorenzen. The no-hitter obviously gives you that one moment that you can latch on to. He wasn't very good for the rest of the time uh, that he was in in a Phillies uniform, but I'll give him a C-plus anyway, specifically just for that no-hitter. Uh, I've got a C for Orion Kirkering. I don't know that we really saw enough out of him to give him a true grade. Uh, he struggled in the, in the National League Championship Series, and I think he was not done right by Rob Thompson putting him into some situations he really shouldn't have been asked to pitch in. And I gave Gregory Soto a C minus. There were times this year when Gregory Soto was throwing strikes, you couldn't touch him. The problem is you just never knew what Gregory Soto you were going to get. It was like 50-50. He'd be wild and all over the place and giving up a bunch of runs and hits because he couldn't get the dadgum ball over the plate. And other times he would be throwing strikes and was virtually unhittable. Uh, a couple other guys, Junior uh, Marte gets a D minus. And then I gave an F to Connor Brogdon, Andrew Bellotti, 
and uh, Bailey Falter, none of whom could stick in the major leagues this year. And as for the coaches, I gave them all Bs. Rob Thompson, Kevin Long, Caleb Cottom. I know a lot of people are calling for Kevin Long's job because the Phillies couldn't stop swinging at pitches out of the strike zone. Look, I'm here to tell you, there's not much a hitting coach can do about that. You don't think he was telling them to, to stop swinging at the first pitches? You don't think he was telling them to stop being so aggressive as the series went along? I guarantee you he was in their ear telling them, see more pitches, make him pitch to you. He's not stupid, but these are veteran guys who were feeling the pressure. The Phillies clenched up. They got tight. They started, they started trying to do too much. They started, they started trying to hit that home run, you know, down three runs, hitting a solo home run doesn't do a whole lot for you. It helps. Fine. You hit a solo home run, you're down three, one. Now you're down, I mean, down three, nothing. Now you're down three to one. Sure. You're within two. It helps, but the mentality is wrong. And I guarantee Kevin Long was, was in their ears in the playoffs telling them that, but and again, Rob Thompson, I know there's a lot of folks who are listening who um, think he's a major problem. I am not one of those people. Uh, I think Rob Thompson did fine. I think he was largely good in the playoffs. He had some moments in games three and four of the National League Championship Series that he would like to get back. Um, I would like him to take back. Again, I, th I said this with Justin and Liz. I think his usage of Ryan Kirkering was the most egregious, more egregious than his use of Craig Kimbrell. And I think if you're going to make a Kimbrell criticism, it wasn't using him in game four to start. It was keeping him in the game after he gave up the home run to tie it up. That was the big problem for me. But again, we've gone over that. I don't need to go over that again. So those are my grades for the 2023 Phillies. And i um, um, curious what your grading for the Phillies would be. If you would like to, uh, go to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star star rating and a review for this podcast and let me know some grades that you have for the Phillies. You can just write them in right there as part of your as part of your comments. So go ahead and do that uh, if you listen to the show on Apple Podcasts. All right, it's time for us to get to the hit and season mailbag here to finish things off. And we'll start with at Mantis Bliss asking, how many more years do you think the window of contention will stay open for this Phillies team, and how does that affect your view of trading any of their top 10 prospects? So looking at the contracts, I went through this today. Their window is definitely within the next two years as a true World Series contender with this particular core. Harper, Turner, Schwarber, Castellanos, Real Muto are all signed through at least 2025. Alec Bohm is under team control through 2025. Bryson Stott and Brandon Marsh are under team control through 2027. So the offense, unless they make some trades, is going to look very similar to what we've seen in 2022 and 2023 over these next few years. Now, the veterans are all going to be in their early 30s by the time 2025 rolls around. They're already 30 years old, most of them. They're going to be 32, uh, 33 by the time their contracts are done with the Phillies. And um, it's fair to expect some split, some slippage in that, in, in that case, which means your younger guys need to start doing more. Maybe Johan Rojas does become a better offensive player. Maybe you do uh, see Bryson Stott and Alec Bowman, Brandon Marsh take some more steps forward. You're probably going to need that from somewhere as these veterans get a little bit older. I think the big question mark in terms of their window to win the World Series is the starting rotation. They have a big decision to make with Aranola here this offseason. Are they going to extend him? If so, for how long? Uh, will the other 30-year-old free agents on the market? Um, would it be better if the Phillies went out and got Blake Snell or Jordan Montgomery or something like that, you know, that's uh, or Sonny Gray? Would that make more sense for the Phillies to go out and do something like that rather than bring Aranola back? Do they give you more as a number two starter than Aranola? Also, do you sign Zach Wheeler to an extension? That's been talked about. He's on the last year of his deal. He is your ace. He's your horse. He's your postseason thoroughbred. But he's 34. He'll be 30. He'll, next year will be his age 34 season. All right. Do you, do you sign him for age 35, 36, 37, 38, 39? Like, do you give him a five-year extension that takes him all the way up to age 39? It could get ugly at the end there. But for the next two or three seasons, if you do that, you probably still have top-level Zach Wheeler. And the Phillies do have Ranger Suarez and Christopher Sanchez, two young left-handed guys. Uh, Suarez is uh, with the team through 2025, and Sanchez is with the team through 28. Suarez could be uh, an extension candidate this offseason. Taiwan Walker is signed through 2026. My guess is he won't make it to the end of that contract, but he will be here in 2024 and probably 2025. It's hard to get rid of a guy uh, who is um, who's, who signed a big contract like that, and you just hope he pitches better 
in, in 2024. Again, another thing that's going to play a huge role in this, Andrew Painter's recovery from Tommy John surgery. What will he look like when 2025 rolls around? How much can you reasonably expect from him in 2025? Probably not a whole lot because he wouldn't have pitched in essentially two full seasons before. So, you know, it, it's that that surgery is a real bummer because it's kind of taken this young stud who you are projecting to be a part of this rotation for the next couple of years, and it's not happening next year at, at, at least. And 2025 is when we'll see him again. And McAble's development is going to be a big key. I'm kind of out on Griff McGarry contributing anytime soon. Is there going to be anybody else to step up? You need some of these young starting pitchers, like you've seen with Ranger Suarez, like you've seen with Christopher Sanchez. You need a McAble to go to AAA next year, start there, and force the Phillies' hand, right? To say, like, hey, we need to, we need to elevate this kid. And you need Andrew Painter to recover from his elbow surgery and just hope he stays healthy and remains as effective as he was. Um... And then you've got to keep developing bullpen guys like Hoffman and Kirkering. Are there any more of those guys moving forward? So at least to answer your question, in the next two years, I think this team is still a World Series contender. And then it's really going to be up to the decision, the decisions they make in the starting rotation this offseason and next offseason and how Mick Abel develops and Andrew Painter recovers from his Tommy John surgery. So I don't know if I answered the question completely to your satisfaction, but um, but that's what I got on that one. And uh, do we, how does that affect trading any of the top 10 prospects? I think the Phillies recognize the times now. I, I, if I were Dave Dombrowski, I would be a little bit more aggressive in moving somebody like Mick Abel, especially if I go out and I sign a free agent starting pitcher. If I re-sign Aaron Nola and, and sign Zach Wheeler to an extension, um, then maybe I'm willing to move Mick Abel as part of a deal for, um, you know, a young controllable outfielder or something like that. I don't know. Um, but that's, I would move, I would move prospects to help make this team, this made this team at the major league level better because the window of opportunity, Bryce Harper's prime is only going to last so much longer. Trey Turner's prime is only going to last. All those guys' primes are only going to last so much longer. Zach Wheeler's prime is only going to last so much longer. You've got to get it in this year and possibly 2025. I really feel like that's the window. At Anthony6095728 from X uh, tweeted at me, does seeing the Rangers hitters rough up the D-backs pitchers like this make the NLCS loss worse? The Rangers seem to be taking pitches and getting deep counts and forcing the D-backs pitchers to throw strikes, and then they're hitting those strikes. Phil's hitters need better approach. And then we've talked about this a little bit. Of course they do. Uh, the Phillies pitchers, de- Phillies hitters definitely uh, need to change things up. And, and here's a stat that I saw that really shouldn't have surprised us. The Phillies were chasing all season long. It shouldn't have been a surprise that they were doing it in games three through seven of the NLCS. We shouldn't have been shocked by it. They finished the regular season with the fourth highest chase rate in baseball. 31.4% of the time they were chasing at balls out of the strike zone. And they weren't even fouling them off. They had the 10th lowest chase contact percentage at 54.2%. So not only were they chasing a lot, they didn't really ever make contact on any of those pitches that they chased out of the strike zone. In other words, a lot of swing and miss on balls out of the strike zone. That, that is something that they really, really do need to fix. And you saw the Rangers. I mentioned it at the top of the show. They, they took pitches. They got into deep counts. And when D-backs pitchers threw balls over the plate... Rangers hitters hit them hard. And so it doesn't, I don't know if it makes the NLCS loss worse. I think it remains just as bad. <laughs> it's just what the Phillies did in that series by not changing their approach by these hitters who were supposed to be not too big for the moment, who were supposed to be ready for, for postseason play and, and uh, had the, all the experience over these young guys on the Diamondbacks. They were feeling the pressure. They expanded the zone. Everybody tried to play hero. Nobody was willing to let the next guy do the job, and everybody was uh, nobody was content to move the line. Everybody wanted to be the guy um, that got on all the social media video clips uh, that were that would go around. And I, I really feel like that was a big part of what was going on uh, in games six and seven. Just too many guys trying to do too much. And yes, it it does hurt. The NLC loss, NLCS loss hurts. It doesn't make it worse for me because I think we knew what it is we were watching in real time. Like the hitters just weren't hitting and it really wasn't anything that the Diamondbacks pitchers were doing. You could see it. They were good, but it wasn't 
otherworldly. And you saw the Rangers just took care of business in, in that series because of their approach at the plate. Um, they have the power like the Phillies do, but their approach was just better. And it's frustrating. Just very, very frustrating. At Mickey McMahon 16 asks, is it time to look for a backup catcher who can provide some offense and share more of the load with JT? No. I mean, if they get another backup catcher, fine. Uh, Garrett Stubbs certainly seems to have woven himself into the fabric of that clubhouse. And for as little as the backup catcher plays, I'm fine with it being Garrett Stubbs. JT Realmuto wants to play as much as he is. Like, going out and getting a better backup catcher is not going to result in JT Real Muto playing any more games. The reason JT Real Muto didn't play more is not because the Phillies didn't like Garrett Stubbs. It's because JT Real Muto didn't want to play. I mean, because JT Real Muto wanted to play, and he was an important part of that offense. It doesn't make sense. Like, you don't have a whole lot of money. You don't have... You don't have unlimited funds to throw around. So you're not going to go out and sign Jan Gomes to be a backup catcher. I don't think anyway. Maybe I'll be surprised, but no, I wouldn't do that. And uh, I don't think there's a whole lot of other catchers out there. I mean, you can backup catchers. There are a million Garrett Stubbses out there, guys of that kind of talent. Most teams don't carry two really good catchers. I know I know the Braves did it, um, but that's just, that's unusual uh, to see that. And I don't think that's going to be what the Phillies do at Mr. Jersey. Mr. Jersey. Josh asks, did Phil's coaches management take a hands-off approach with the hitters during the NLCS? This is a very popular line of questioning. It was obvious to everyone that starting in game three, Arizona threw everything outside the zone after two strikes and watched them chase. Would approaching these guys with advice have been that taboo? Um, and here's another one from MM Spidey 84. Is it crazy to suggest that the Phillies need to shake some things up? The first option that comes to mind is trading Castellanos, but some big move that fundamentally changes this lineup. I know that's what people are going to want to see this offseason. And maybe there are some things out there. Maybe there are some trades out there that can be made. I mean, I don't know if there's a, a free agent out there that uh, that you can look at and you can say, yes, definitely, we need to... We need to go out and we need to, to go get this guy. But, you know, maybe there's a guy out there that you could go get in a trade. Um, I don't know. It's, uh, well, you know, I think Alex, is Alex Verdugo is a free agent. That could be a guy that might interest the Phillies. Because he's a guy who hit, not didn't have a high batting average, 264, but um, only struck out 93 times. He doesn't strike out. Uh, he walked 45 times, had an on-base percentage of 324, 421 slugging, a 745 OPS. Again, that's not otherworldly. He's been about a league average offensive player over these last few years. So maybe that doesn't quite do what you need it to do. But if he's kind of in the middle, the bottom of the lineup, you know, that could be somebody interesting. I mean, there, there's I mentioned trading for Juan, Juan Soto on X this week, and I, you know, that was met with um, more consternation than I was expecting. I'll just say this about, about Juan Soto, guys. I know the San Diego Padres faltered this year, and there's a lot of talk about the locker room and the clubhouse and all that. Um, I know people were looking at Juan Soto play in the NLCS last year, and they thought they saw kind of a lazy player. That's not my impression of Juan Soto. And I, I've asked baseball writers who cover the game nationally, um, I forget who was I asked in the middle of the season. I had, somebody I had on in the middle of the season, I asked that question. Like, have you heard anything about Alex, about, about Juan Soto being a, a malcontent, being somebody, you know, being a me first guy? And that's, gen that's generally been speaking, not been uh, the label that people have, have placed on him. And we could see how valuable he was to the 2019 Nationals. Now, you know, so is Anthony Rendon, and Anthony Rendon has been an absolute waste of space since joining the Angels, a real jerk, too. So, I mean... But I don't think that's Juan Soto. And Juan Soto, you talk about a guy who would be the perfect addition to this lineup. I mean, the how much it would, what, what kind of an impact he would have, it's scary. Now, you would probably have to trade Nick Castellanos somewhere. Especially if, if Bryce Harper plays DH and says, I mean, plays first base and says, I want to be the first baseman, then you're looking for another corner outfielder. Like, unless you're going to give that job to Christian Pache or Johan Rojas, you're looking for somebody either in free agency or via the trade market. So Verdugo could be a fit for something like that. You could also, I don't know what a Juan Soto trade would look like. He's on the last year of his deal in 2024. My guess is the Phillies would want to have some time to try and negotiate something long-term if they're going to give up some top prospects. Um, we had this conversation at midseason when we were talking about trade the trade deadline and, and Juan Soto's name kept popping up. I remember talking to Kevin Nagandi about it uh, right around that time. So uh, it's uh, 
there are some things that the Phillies might be able to do. If, if Harper decides he wants to play, go back to playing the outfield, then you've got to make a decision about Castellanos and Kyle Schwarber, because I just don't think you can put Kyle Schwarber back in the outfield. So can Castellanos play left field? Um, if he can't, would it make more sense to just maybe, you know, to try and get rid of some of the strikeouts and the swing and miss and some of the streakiness out of the lineup? Do you look to try and trade Nick Castellanos? I don't know what the trade market is for Nick Castellanos right now. You know, he's still owed a lot of money left on his contract. He signed a, a five-year, $100 million deal, so he's got three years and $60 million left on that thing. Was he good enough this year? Uh, in order to, in order for a team to be intrigued to trading for for Castellanos, and then if you if you do trade Castellanos, then you know you have to get something to replace him at that point, and and you look for somebody who maybe has more plate discipline, who sees more pitches. I mean, uh, that that is that that is something this Phillies team needs, but I I don't know that you're going to get what you're looking for for Nick Castellanos. I mean, maybe if you really. Um, eat a lot of the salary, you can you can move him. But uh, I don't know that the Phillies should or will be looking to move Nick Castellanos, but uh, I certainly think Dombrowski understands the problem. He talked about it in his, conf- in his news conference. He knows there's an issue. He knows there's too much swing and miss on this team. So maybe you do need to change the mix a little bit. I wouldn't change the mix a whole lot. This is a World Series contender, just like it is. But I do think if you removed somebody like a Castellanos, who's probably the most likely guy, I mean, I'm picking on Castellanos, and it's not just because he struggled in games three through seven. The streakiness is an issue. The swing and miss is an issue. Sometimes Castellanos goes to the plate, and he has said he hears little voices in his head that tell him to swing when he shouldn't swing. You know, that's kind of weird. <laughs> that's, he, it makes him endearing, and when he's doing well, and when he's hitting well, and when he's making good plays, it's great. But um, maybe you do look for something with a little bit more stability at the plate, a little bit less, maybe a guy who's who has less of a chance to be impactful, but has a chance to be more consistent and see more pitches and, and generate that kind of a culture. I will say, I don't think the idea that you need to change the mix, I don't think that's a bad idea. I just, I'm not really sure how they go about doing it. At Philly, Kale asks, I know Nola is priority number one, but do you think another back-end starter and bullpen piece will be top priorities, or are they worried about replacing Rojas if his bat doesn't allow him to make the team out of spring training? Um, I think they certainly are going to look for a top-end starter, whether it's Nola or somebody else. Um, So yes, I I don't think they're necessarily looking at back-end starters. Um, They will get another right-handed reliever to replace Craig Kimbrell. That is definitely going to be on their radar. They definitely need to do that. And Dombrowski has said uh, he will do that. So I think replacing, either resigning or replacing Nola is number one. Replacing Craig Kimbrell is number two. And then I do think you'll see them look for starting rotation depth. They'll probably bring in a couple of guys on minor league deals and and start them off that way. But uh, I don't. You don't need a back end like a like a number four guy. Like a, you don't need another Taiwan Walker. Your your starting rotation is pretty much set. You're just looking for some depth. Um, and again, yeah, I think you need to figure out once you figure out what Bryce Harper wants to do, then I'll give you some idea of what. Rojas's role next year might be Christian Pache's role might be, or whether they go outside the organization to add another outfielder or trade Nick Castellanos or, or do that. Do they bring back Reese Hoskins? If, if, um, if, if Bryce Harper decides to go back to right field, a lot of different things that can happen, uh, with this, but I, th- I think those are the priorities that, that have been laid out by the Phillies. They've pretty much been transparent about what it is that they're planning on doing. And finally, at Dagan353 asks, is Rob Thompson in danger of following in Danny Ozark's footsteps? That is, a player's manager getting a talented team almost to the promised land year after year, but ultimately lacking the hunger and the dynamic leadership that drives a team over the finish line. There are no more Dallas Greens. That style of manager to push a team over the finish line doesn't exist anymore. And the ones that do get fired pretty quickly because that act doesn't work anymore. Do I think, let's just, listen, it's not guaranteed that any manager is going to get his team over the hump. I think we've seen these last two years, it is really, 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 really hard to win a World Series. Like you think about all the teams that have fallen short these last two years, especially with these expanded playoffs, these great Braves teams, these Dodgers teams, that have fallen, the Mets last year, um, the Padres uh, last uh, this year. Um, so many 
really, really good teams, the Phillies falling short this year, just couldn't get all the way there. There's there's so many games to play in these expanded playoffs. And I know you, people are talking about the, the time off and all that kind of... I just think the sheer number of wins that you need to put together in order to win a World Series is really difficult. And it's not like the NBA where you have like one team full of just you know four out of five stars that can that can dominate it's a it's a collection of 26 27 guys who all have to do their jobs against 27 other guys who have to do their jobs and it's not like the NFL where you get where you have one game where you match up and you know most of the time that home field advantage the better team usually wins those big conference championship games not all the time but more often than not it's just really really hard to do it and so I think you could you could see this Phillies team, you know, maybe they don't ever get back. Maybe 2022 was their best shot. I think I think Rob Thompson, he maybe he's in danger of following in Danny Ozark's footsteps, but keep in mind Danny Ozark in those 1970s teams, you just had to win one series to get to the World Series and they couldn't do it those three straight years. So I don't I mean Rob Thompson is a players manager. But they're all players' managers now, some to lesser degrees, but you're not going to get in there and find somebody who's not a player's manager. Maybe there may be a different style. Maybe that has to happen someday. But I don't think we're there with Rob Thompson yet. I think Thompson, look at his regular season record. It's it's phenomenal. His postseason record is phenomenal. This team, I know we're all searching for reasons, concrete reasons and steps to fix what happened to win to, to in order to finally get them those last two wins that they didn't get last year and the last five wins that they didn't get this year. How do we bridge that gap? There's got to be something. Maybe it's the manager. Maybe it's the hitting coach. Maybe it's the mix of players. Maybe it's Aaron Nola. Maybe it's this. It may be some of those things. It may be just that these guys forgot how to hit. For It may just be that the emotions got the best of them in the final two games. It may be that, you know, may, there were some managerial mistakes and missteps, but, you know, I've been saying it all along. Managers look really smart when their players come through for them. Managers look really dumb when their players don't. And we saw that in in the National League Championship Series with with Phillies. And uh, these these hitters, I mean, Rob Thompson was not making them nervous. Nobody was, that's all from, and if you are a player's manager, that seems to be his, his, I mean, his ability to keep a team loose, um, served them well early in the season when they were struggling and they didn't fall into the same trap that the Mets and the Padres did. So I like Rob Thompson. I think he's a good manager. I think he's the right manager for this group. I don't necessarily think he's in danger of following in Danny Ozark's footsteps in that. I don't think you're going to see him fired after three seasons of not making it to the World Series um, unless he makes a big error. But he's not going to get replaced by a firebrand who's there to kick some butt. It's just not the way it works anymore. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for this edition of Hit and Season. I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, we're going to start getting into some more of the previewing of the of the free agent market and trade deadline stuff over these next few weeks. We'll start getting some guests back on the show. Uh, and, of course, uh, Justin and Liz will have a podcast coming for you here uh, later in the week. We might be doing some other fun stuff on the podcast this offseason. Try and keep it light. Try and keep it loose uh, as we all get ready for a new season. Uh, it's going to be, uh, I think I saw a little over 100 days until spring training. Uh, last year, when the Phillies got to the World Series, I remember the offseason felt so short. So one of the good things about a deep playoff run, and the Phillies did have a deep playoff run, uh, the offseason is a little bit shorter, and we'll get back to real baseball again before you know it. But um, enjoy this time, and um, you know we'll keep you up to date on everything going on with the Phillies. Again, go to billypen.com slash season. That's where you can find all of our hit and season content. Uh, and you can also, again, check out our Patreon it's at patreon.com slash hit and season. Thanks everybody for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time right here on Hit and Season.